Hello, this is Stuart from InspiringCity.com and this is the first episode of Art-Related Nonsense, our podcast series with the Art Republic Gallery in Brighton, where we'll be talking about all kinds of things from within the art world. Over the series, we'll be speaking to artists and influencers to give us a bit of a flavour about the kind of things that are happening on the art scene today. In terms of our first guest, we're very much in the influencer category. He's been running galleries since the early 80s and can make a pretty good claim as to having helped launch the careers of the likes of Banksy, Jamie Reid and, more recently, people like Lucy Sparrow and Magnus Joan. It's Lauren Salkin, he's the CEO of the Art Republic Gallery in Brighton and someone who has established himself as a major player on the art scene of today. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Composition and layout. A face of everybody and no one I genuinely am an artist and I do art all day long. Most artists don't make a living out of what they're doing. I dream about it at night, trying to get those letter forms. I'm obsessed with art. So welcome to this first episode of the Art Republic podcast. And um, to kick it off, I'm with Lawrence Alkin, CEO of The Gallery. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Stuart. How are you? How did you get into art in the first place? What was the whole journey for you? I fell into it. My father was a very keen collector of art. I didn't like art at school. And when I was in my mid-twenties, I was working in Canada and I needed to get something framed. And I found a very contemporary graphic type art shop with the framing. And I was very impressed the way uh, they approached it. This is back in the mid-seventies. And I had a bug in my head. I'd been brought up amongst art and this thing happened. And in 1979, 80, I I needed to get into something I'd not educated. I'd been working, earning a lot of money, gambling, losing a lot of money. And I found something, some pictures that would be very suitable. They weren't in Ireland at the time, and I got exclusive. And I started selling... uh, these pictures at uh, markets all around the country. These are the races as well, weren't they? Yeah, one of them was uh, every Sunday at Phoenix Park races, where I lost a lot of money and now I was starting to make money back. <laughs> it was a good story. It's a bit of a, um, a rapid progression then. So I think, you know, you know, starting, getting a bit of a niche, and then so you had six, six stores on the go, was it? Yeah, I, I, I move fast. Whatever I do, I... I'm a very uh, addictive, passionate person, so I either do it or I don't. And within about six years, seven years, we'd uh, built up six shops and one franchise in Ireland. We had uh, five shops in uh, Dublin area. We had one in Cork and uh, a franchise in Galway. Big disaster. The franchise in Galway wasn't too great, was it? No, no, no. The whole thing was just completely manic and... You know, I, I was trying to move and I took on a financial partner and then I wanted to go into England and have one place, maybe the King's Road, and build something from there, like stylish. And all he was, after, in hindsight, all he was interested in was making money. He had no interest in the art or anything. And our philosophies just went the opposite ways. So how did you, that, that transition to England happen then? What, what brought you over? Well, we bought, we ended up, against my will, we bought uh, six shops in the southeast of England. And it was a small little chain. We bought it the day of the start of the recession in 19, 
90, I think it was the first Monday in September and the interest rates went sky high and anyway, it was a disaster. And in 90, the end of 91, we had to liquidate the business, the UK business, and I took over all the personal guarantees and the, and I managed to hold on to the one gallery where I am today. Which is where we are now. Yeah, Bond Street. Yeah, started to have to work very tight from the one place and that's when it all started in 92. So you set up in 92 and then it's sort of building it from scratch to some extent. Would that, would that, be, would that be right or pretty from, much from it? From, from scratch and a lot of debt. It wasn't just scratch, it was <laughs> sub-scratch. <laughs> in those days we used to sell mostly uh, museum quality posters from you know, the Museum of Modern Art, from the Guggenheim, from the Tate, from you know, all the major museums around the world. So the 90s, I just, I had to get rid of uh, three, four units and pay uh, reverse premiums while I was trying to do it and I was borrowing and begging and everything to make it happen. By 95, I'd sort of leveled the problem and then of course I heard about the internet and I thought, oh, that'd be a wonderful way to sell my product, you know, online posts, you know, posters. So I set up a website called onlineposters.com, which led into what became Art Republic in uh, 2000. And we, we launched artrepublic.com in 2000. Do you remember um, the, the sort of time when things started to really take off with the gallery? And were there any sort of associated artists that might have helped with that? Well, there was three big things that happened. Uh, there was Jamie Reid, I'm anti-war, and uh, Jamie Reid came along and I loved it. Uh, it was, you know, I, I got a chance to buy a lot of his work. Never mind the bollocks, uh, fuck forever, God save the queen, swastika eyes. That's all around the gold, all Golden Jubilee as well, wasn't it? That? Yeah, it was all around the Golden Jubilee. <clears throat> and I had a massive success with that. At the same time, Jimmy Corthy, it was just around the Afghan war, was on and I was an anti-war person, went on marches. And Jimmy Corthy came in one day uh, from KLF, formerly KLF, and he had a contact, I didn't know who he was, he looked like, probably more like a tramp than, a, than an artist. He was really, really like scruffiest beard and wearing a Pfizer jacket. I, and he came in, he says, do you know where I could get these prints? And we always get lots of people coming asking questions. And there was a contact sheet of, of photos. And I, I, looked, I looked down and I said, oh, that's interesting. And I, I really had a look. And I said, what's the for? He says, I want to sell them as prints. And I looked and I said, I'd love to sell them as prints. And they were the, the uh, Stamps of Mass Destruction, which was a huge public publicity success and also we sold a lot of them and we were sued by the Royal Mail and we had great fun on that project and we did quite a lot with uh, Jimmy since. Stamps of mass destruction, that sounds great. So were really tiny little stamps that were... Yeah, well that's, he did things with stamps, but we blew them up into oh, big right, prints yeah. and it was three colours, it was a set of three and it was the Queen on what, using one of the stamps, I think it's the Maslin, Maslin stamp, right. it's like a particular uh, bust and uh, we, he had a big gas mask over her face. And the and KLF stopped doing music at that, that point? Oh, KLF had been yeah, stopped for like 10 years, I think. They, so I always remember they, they burnt all their... Uh, literally burnt a million pounds or something. Yeah, and they destroyed all their masters and everything. And 
turn down copyright and you know wow. they're they, revolutionary do you think they did burn the million pounds i think a million pounds was burnt i don't know if it was you know it was old notes or new notes or i you know i've heard a few different stories and i think they're on some i think it's around now or last year they're able to publicize the true thing they, they're on a so many year confidentiality right, on it. right right but uh you know, I wouldn't, knowing Jimmy, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually burnt a million <laughs> just to make a statement. And I suppose the other, the other artist that always probably gets mentioned is Banksy. And you, you sort of started selling Banksy stuff early, yeah, early on. Yeah, in 2004, some people approached us. It was actually uh, Banksy's publicist at the time, who still is her publicist. Uh, she came and she said, oh, do you want to sell these prints? And there was no profit in them. Like, you know, you, may, you sell something for 95, you made a tenner. You know, and you can't run a retail operation on that sort of margins. But it was coming up to the Brighton Festival. It was 2004. We secured a very big space in, uh, it's called the Argus Lofts. It's now, I think, called the Basement. It's a venue place, about 5,000 square feet. We worked with pictures and walls. And we, we had all their main artists, uh, Banksy, Insect, uh, Invader, all that lot. And we also had... Jimmy Corsi, Janie Reed, and Anthony Mikulov, and many more. And we had, uh, we, we covered the whole of the 5,000 square foot venue. And we sold a lot of Banksy prints. We just stuck them on the wall. There was, you know, they're just like cheaply stuck on the wall. You just pick one and said, I want to buy number one or two or five. And they were going for like 70 pounds. And we had some of the canvases going for 300 pounds. And we had over 8,000 people come to that uh, event over a three-week period, which in Brighton is quite a big number. And then we started, I still wasn't keen on selling them in the gallery because there was no money in it. But we sort of recognised that this, is some, this was a phenomenon, something <coughs> special. And we ended up over uh, a three-year period selling somewhere in the region of 8,000 prints, which gave us good kudos into the future. So how, was, there a, was there a time, I mean, because you, you come across these artists and, you know, they're starting out and then some of them, you've mentioned them, them now, Jamie Reed, Jimmy Corti, Banksy, you know, the big names now, but you obviously, something must have said, I want to follow these guys right at the very beginning, I want to do something with these. I work my business, I never, I never stay in it, I've never been in an office, I work in the front, I always work the front, and I used to work seven days a week and I... And I'm a, I'm a street person, really. And so I know what's going I, I have a feel, and I have a feel for style. And, you know, you can feel the temperature that's going on. So when, it, when Banksy comes around in 2004, you, you felt a vibe. There was something about this guy, even though he's selling prints on the wall, ripped up, you know, 70 quid and something. You thought, actually, yeah, I'm going to stick with this one. Well, I just knew, we, we just knew it was something special, something different, something revolutionary was happening. You know, I, mean, I know people came before him, you know, which I discovered afterwards and become pretty anyway, like Black Larat and people like that. But, you know, he was the one that really made it happen. To it transcendence, yeah. to some extent. We used to nearly break people's arms to buy them for, monkey, you know, the, the rat series and things like that for, you know, around 90 pounds. People wouldn't pay 50 pounds more to get a signed one because, the, you know, they thought it was too expensive. My daughter tried to get me to hold on to them, but I was trading. I, I was... I mean, they're doing business. I needed to sell to get money in to buy. And, you know, I couldn't be putting things away. And it was only near the end when uh, they didn't deal with the trade anymore and they were only dealing direct 
themselves, I mean, those rec releases that my daughter, and I didn't know it, had put away about 120, 130 Banksies as they came in every week, because we were getting in hundreds, you know, hundreds yeah. and hundreds. She just put a few away every week and had them in a drawer, uh, had them in a hidden place that I didn't know. Wow. And that helped us open my London gallery, which I just sold a couple of weeks ago, and uh, another gallery we had running for 10 years, a sort of a, an up-and-coming gallery called Inked. Speaking about the art in your own hand, is that something you actually have? Are you, are you a clip? Do you like ha having this things on, on your own walls? Well, I don't like to talk about what I have because I don't want people to know what I have. <laughs> I but on my walls, I have, you know, some of the Banksy rubbishes. You know, he killed his career. Well, in my opinion, this part of the world was Mr. Brainwash. He gave me, I helped him a lot and I sold a lot of work for him in the early days when he was doing well. And he gave me a couple of, uh, I helped him on his big New York show and he helped me, he gave me a couple of originals, which I happen to like. There, one is of Andy Warhol, who's my absolute hero in art, and one was, uh, when he did the whole Madonna Revival album, and one of the pieces from that he gave me. And they just work. I have a Charming Baker, I have a Harlem Miller, I have an Obey, I have a War Boutique. They're the ones in my living room. <laughs> and and pl plus lots of other bits and pieces. So what makes a good piece of art for you? Is there a, a secret? Is there... I'm, I am academically don't know a thing about art. I couldn't technically talk about... I mean, after 38 years in the business, I see a good quality screen print. I know a good quality screen print from a bad quality mm -hmm. screen print. I can tell probably a bad piece of art from a good piece of art, but I don't know why. It's just my eye. I'm all about the eye. I, I, my eye works in millimetres. When I'm getting a haircut, I drive barbers crazy because of their point one of a millimetre out on one side, I, go, I, I, I can't handle it. So I'm very much into the style, the balance, and I'm quite political, so, you know, things that have messages are very important to me. So looking at the gallery, I mean, you've, you've expanded the, the gallery in, in Brighton, it's doubled in size, it's absolutely ram-packed full of art on the walls, and it's, um, have you chosen all those, or do you, does your team choose, how do you decide what what you bring in and what you uh, Up to on. a couple of years ago, I would say nothing was bought. Before I got involved in uh, partners in an online business, nothing was bought without or came into the gallery without my approval. Obviously, I have people help, you know, you know, we do a lot of, we, we sell a lot of art, so I, I can't go out and find every artist and deal with every artist. And But every every piece comes through me and in the new gallery space now everything comes through me but I have a team working with me. So someone will identify something that they think is good and then they'll rate by you and you'll think okay yes yeah, no. That, yeah we're, we're going back to we lost over the last three four years I must admit we've lost the curating value of the business mm. because we were buying for the wrong reasons. What were you what were those reasons? Were well I got involved with online uh, I got online in my part in the online business and I made a mistake and uh, let some people get involved in running the online business and a lot of things were bought were bought for an online perspective not from a gallery perspective and now I'm going back to a hundred percent if I if I buy something new if it goes up on website it will be something that I, you know, I believe in, not just it's good to sell. So what's good curation look like for you then? What, what do you mean by good curation? 
it, ju it just happens. We did uh, the whole in two about eight hour sessions. We curate, we, we hung the whole gallery and it's a massive hang we have out yeah. in the gallery and it was just done and it's done by instinct. I don't have an academic right. mind. If you ask me to work out things, I can't do it. I can just do things by instinct. Because just going out there, we'll have, you know, it, 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 is, it is all over the walls. Every single spare piece of wall is taken up with art. Well, we it's have just a few, we have a few centimetres in between. Centimeters. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, to me, I believe in, I don't believe in Laura Ashley and things, but decor. I, mm -hmm. I hate decor. It's, that's my, one of my hints. I, I like ju juxtaposing. And that's what I try to, and most of the people that I've converted over the years, because you know, I, I have pushed people into buying art that thought I was mugging them at the beginning and now come to thank me, because they come in and say, well, I don't know where I'll put that. I can't, you know, where is that going to go on the wall? And I just tell them, you buy art with your heart, not with your head. Mm. And if you like it and love it, you have a feeling for it, you're going to find a place. And it doesn't matter if you have a Banksy beside a traditional picture or you have, it, it's juxtaposing, it's different things together. Yeah. It's the energy that one hits off the other. I've never, I don't, funny enough, in this new situation in the gallery, I have special hangings. So I have groups of things that are together, but only a, a small amount of them, because I don't believe in hanging all your black and whites yeah. together, hanging all your this together or that together or that artist together. I like to mix them up. And when people walk into a gallery, I think what happens is when you do that, they walk in and their eye just, they, they have all this backdrop, but their eye goes to the things that attracts them. They stand out more even than if they were in a group. Of, if you have six Magnuses together, you know, skulls, it gets very confusing which one you like and which one you don't. But when they're mixed in a Magnus with a Hearst, with a Blake, with a, a Jamie Reed or whatever, and they're all in a, up in the wall type, your head, your, your eye will go to the one that you like. And is there something about discovery as well? So when people come in, they look at the space, they see a piece of work and then they see something next to it and then they see something next to it and they just... Is, is there something about the they joy evolve. of discovery for yeah, people? They evolve. I mean, a lot of the clients we have coming in today, their parents were coming in in this gallery in the early 90s, and they were coming in with their parents, young kids, teenagers, and they're my a lot of them are my clients today, and their parents bought, and then they, they liked, and they came, and they saw, and then they've, and people develop their art. People that buy something of a quality, whatever it is, in art especially, they don't go backwards. They don't go and think, oh, I just got to get things up. But once they get used to something and they, and they identify they like something, they don't buy yeah. just for decor anymore. It's a, it, it's a funny dynamic. And it, you know, I've watched it over 38 years and it works. You know, people that bought constables from me back in the early 80s, or Monet's, now would be buying you know, a, a very nice Ian Davenport or something and getting the energy, you know, because they evolve. People, once you expose people to art, their taste evolves. It doesn't stay, they don't just stay in that yeah. thing. And what we've tried to do here is, we, we, we think, outside, you know, we've had a couple of bad years, not bad years business-wise, but maybe bad years curating-wise. Our whole 
thing is, and my thing is, the pride that we're evolving. If I'm not evolving, I don't want to do it. As we expanded, the idea was to have special hangs, a lot more, have original shows and show a lot more originals. At the moment, we have two big sections. And the idea of this new gallery, this part, this, the, the old space, but it's actually, you know, is to show a little bit more of hanging. So I have like here, I have the Brian Eno, uh, he had the two series, he makes light boxes and he's made prints uh, from the light boxes and they're quite amazing colours. And then we've always wanted to show a lot, an alphabet or something of Peter Blake because, you know, he's done quite a few different alphabet series and um, we have on one, one section of the wall we have the whole uh, dazzled section. And one of the artists I really love but he's very minimal, it's, it's not everybody's choice, is uh, Michael Craig Martin who, was, uh, who taught Damien Hurst and his objects I think are just wonderful. I love this one with the arrows. She's That's a... Magnus going, he has yeah, Japanese oh, wow. arrows uh, actually going into the piece. Pe people love Magnus. Yes. He, he's a very special, lovely guy. He's very, you know, dealing with artists, one of the most important things is dealing with artists. You can only deal with them when you get to a certain level if they're professional. And he is a true professional. Yeah, that's good. With you know, dealing, you know, his work, his deadlines, his attitude. You know, he, do, he's, he doesn't forget what he says. Is that important for you? So working with people with that sort of integrity? Yeah, because you can't grow with anybody if they don't have integrity, if they don't have, you know, they don't treat their work professional or, you know, like it's a profession. But it's not about, it's not just about imagery, it's about the whole attitude and your presentation and how you conduct yourself. And then, then the uh, one whole wall, the whole length, we just do our normal mix hang. You know, we have Jamie Reed. Which is the Jamie Reed? Which one is? There, the God Save the Queen. That's the oh, Liberty this is series. Him. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, I have to take that off the wall because it's sold, but that's, always, that's a very sad moment is when you have special pieces up and it's so exciting when you sell them. And then you've got to get, but then you have to take say them, goodbye. You have to say goodbye. And, you know, they make the place look so good and then they have to go. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you find yourself getting that, this, an attachment to certain pieces of art that comes in there? Oh yeah, no, I, I hate the idea of that one going, because I can't, you know, that was only a small edition of 10. I can't get any more, it's gone, and there's nothing like that that's ever going to be again. Would you say you're an influencer? I would say I'm a huge influencer on, uh, on, this, on the type of art I do. You know, we brought, we were the we. I never followed a model. We are we were our own model, and we, you know, we're innovators, not followers. Mm -hmm. So you sort of find something, and do you think there's like this reputation now that if something comes in, it has the Lawrence Alkin stamp of approval, the Art Republic stamp of approval, then that actually just gives it an extra boost, an extra authority. It, it helps a bit. Like we had a show a gallery for ten years called Inked in uh, North Road in Brighton. And one of our early shows was an artist called Miss Bugs. And Miss Bugs came to me in November with a couple of images. And I thought, yeah, they could really work. And they were really good images. And we did a small publication. We did a small thing with them. They sold out right away. In May or, May or June, I can't remember, it's 10 years ago, 
we had a show at Inked, we had a queue overnight, and you know, for an emerging artist who never sold before, really, never had a show, you know, we, we did a hundred thousand that day. People were fighting for his work because we had, you know, because people trusted us. You know, we are a trusted yeah. place. Is that what it comes down to then? Trust people come in and they can yeah, trust I, that it has been curated, it has been looked yeah, at, quality we're, we're, assured. We're, we're not, we're, we're not making, we're, we're independent. That was one of my big things. You can be a publisher. There's a lot of galleries around, and you might not, you might know who they are, but they, they're these galleries and they do people like Bob Dylan and Ronnie Wood and people like that, and they, and it's a big chain and they create beautiful brochures and they they exclusively sell this work. But they just create a market and a buzz. And if I try to sell the same work, I probably get about half the price. Where we sell, I'm happy to sell. We have some, we we have some exclusives, but I don't. Try, I, I never try to tie down an artist. I, I don't try to do contracts with artists. I don't tie them down. As long as they like working with us and we work liking with work with them, we're very independent. Because if we're not independent, we can't do what we want. If I tie up too much with one artist, then I have to be just pushing his work. And then I'm in a situation where I can't really do the things I want to do. So, so we, we have no rules. So is there something about supporting the wider system of art then? So you, 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 you'll say, I like this artist, I'm going to push this artist, and good luck to them if they can sell everywhere else. In the Nearly universe. every artist that I've given a leg up to, and I could probably name about 20 of them, I'm not really working with anymore, except I get some prints from them sometimes. And good luck to them. You know, if, if uh, like Dan Baldwin was a classic example. He, he worked with us. We, we helped him make his career at the beginning. Then he went off to other people. Then he came back to us. Then we did a bit more together. And even just about three years ago, we had a show in London with him. We did very well. And then He's off to, now to Maddox Gallery because he's gone to a level and he has the type of clientele that I can't offer him. And I'm quite honest about that. You know, like I don't deal, I don't go after the footballers and the and the rock stars and that. We we work as a gallery where we're on the street. I invest in a good retail space. I invest in good staff, and. We send, we sell the message from the street. Is this a community? Would you say it's a, it's more about the community then? Is that the key thing for you at the moment? Well, one of the most exciting things going forward is with opening up this new space. I've been waiting 15, 20 years for this space and it's been painful waiting, but because I was always, I needed more space. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things we're excited about is, is to have regular events. And, you know, one, and one of the big things I want to do is every Sunday, every, sorry, every Saturday morning, I want about 10 o'clock have an art uh, club for kids. And it'll be free, it's just to bring, it's community. Obviously, parents come in and, and they'll they get exposed and it gives us, a, it's good for us, but it's also very good for the community and we're all win-win. I, I work with some of the local schools and support their art programs. You know, we're, we support a lot, a lot of charities in the town. You know, we do events for charities and that. We're, you know, we are very much part of the community. What do you say the art scene looks like today, in your opinion? It's all different levels. I'm glad to say at the level of what I'm doing now, it's not all the flipper market and uh, buying to sell and, and doing it. The people are buying art. When people buy art because they like and they're buying for that reason, 
it gives us so much more joy than when we know somebody's coming in and buying something because they think that the price is going to go up in a, a year's time or two years time and they can flip it. So I think it's steady down. I mean, the high end of the market, which I'm not in, has gone absolutely crazy. You know, there's a, but in all life it's gone crazy. There's a huge divide between the very rich and the very poor now, and it's, it's working through the art business too. But we have a wonderful scheme we, we embraced about 10 years ago, went after, it was called uh, Own Art, and it was run by the, the Arts Council, and it's where people can buy art and pay it over 10 months interest free. And that was a great bonus to our business. And we really go for it. You know, we're not afraid to tell people. Even when we think they have money, we tell them about it because not everybody that has money means they want to spend a thousand or five hundred or two thousand on a piece of art. Mm -hmm. Where if they think they can just pay a hundred pounds a month, you know, as much as going out for one meal a month and they can enjoy a lovely piece of art, you know, everybody's a winner. Yeah, because it's, it's quite cheap on a monthly basis, that, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. Can, and it gives, gives a whole different audience. I mean, we get kids coming, you know, students, you know, part-time jobs, and they see something they love for £200. Well, if it's £20 a month, and that gives them a little bit more pride <coughs> in their home and, and gets them introduced to art, that's amazing. And, you know, they'll only grow from that. They won't go backwards and think, oh, that was, you know, you don't hear them come in and say, that's a mistake. Yeah. People come back for more and more and more. And on the own art scheme, I think it's like sixty percent of the, the entire scheme. Is that right? That you? No, I think no. I think we use up uh, about 30 percent oh. of the total national own art scheme Still or the public scheme. sign up. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I wish other people would do more, but people, you know, we are a more uh, selling, doing art. It's all lovely. The community loving art, <laughs> having the passion for it, and everything. But it has to be a business. And the one thing I do is I run a business because I can't be here next week or next month or expand or do things unless I run like a business because I'll just run out of money like most other galleries seem to do. But it seems from where you're speaking, there's something about running a business, but then there's also something about making things accessible and providing, you know, a service to some extent that actually, you know what, this is a business, but we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that if you want this nice piece of art and one, we're going to do it. Is that right? Yeah, we do everything, deliver, like for example, our delivery service, you know, most places I go, you go to Ikea, you buy something for £300, you can't take it home because you haven't got the, or whatever, it's not, and you organise delivery and they want £75 for delivery, mm -hmm. you know, to go 30 miles. With us, we have our own van and one of the big things is we make delivery simple. So we have a service for a national UK service, we have international service. We never make a penny and we subsidise and a lot of times if people are buying a little bit more high, high value art, we won't charge them for delivery, you know, it's a, you know, we make, we, we take out all the complications, that's what we like doing, make it easy so it's seamless, people can come in, like something, feel like they can get it. It's 25 years recently, wasn't it, that you... It's you actually 26, but we never got around last year to celebrating the 25 years, so we thought with the new gallery and everything was the time to have a big party and do it. It was a good party, I remember. It was a very good party. <laughs> You're looking back now, 25, 26 years, what sort of key things come to mind? What sort of key memories pop up when you reflect on that time? From huge debt and working 80, 90 hours a week, coming in on a Friday night, 
and spending five, six hours changing the hang because if I didn't take in a thousand pounds on the Saturday, I might be out of business on the Monday, to, to, to steadying the ship, to developing the website, the web business, Art Republic, changing it to Art Republic, because we used to be called In The Frame in the early days, but then when I started the website, in uh, 2000, we changed the brand of the gallery to, to Art Republic. And then it was like then the, uh, the Jamie Reeds was a very big moment, the Jimmy Corty story, the Banksy. And then it was in the two, it's just been developing then the Peter Blake. I remember about when I first started selling Peter Blake and I was up in London at the London Art Fair. Peter Blake was there on the Paul Stolper stand. And I thought, I'm, I'm starting to sell his work. I, should, I was so nervous to go over to Sir Peter Blake and say hello. I was, I was like a bumbling idiot. And I'm not normally a bumbling idiot. I was just so in awe of the man and he's there. And I'm like, you know, and I don't, I don't go connecting to everybody. I'm not somebody who goes networking. I'm not a networker. I, I was so nervous to talk to him. Now we're good friends. He comes down here for dinner. We have events together. We do things together. You know, we become very good friends. But... That, that was a major thing. And it's just like, you know, there's all these moments that just are so exciting. Are you proud of what you've done? Oh, I'm very proud of what I've done. Lawrence, thanks very much. Thank you, Stuart. So that was it. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Art Related Nonsense, our first ever podcast with the Art Republic Gallery in Brighton. We'll be releasing a new podcast every two weeks, with our next guest being the versatile fashion designer turned artist, Magnus Joan. He's been blazing a bit of a trail on the art scene since really bursting onto it only seven years ago, and so we caught up with him at his studio in London to really learn more about his art and his way of thinking. You can keep track of all the episodes by subscribing on whichever podcast hosting service you're listening on, or by following Art Republic and InspiringCity.com.